Mark chapter 7 is the passage that we're in. Chapter 7, verse 31 to 37. I'll read this for us, and then Pastor Paul will unpack this passage for us today. Mark chapter 7, verse 31 to 37. I'll be reading from the ESV version. Verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him from aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Amen. Uh, thank you, Peter. Um, yeah, as we begin, can I just pray for uh, the unpacking of the word? Would you join with me in prayer as I pray for us and we'll jump into the scriptures? Let me pray. Oh God, we come before you excited for you know, the freedoms that um, we're able to um, kind of enjoy a little bit and you know, especially hopefully this week um, as we might gain more freedom. Um, yeah, as church goes back to normal, as life goes back to normal, uh, would you help us to um, see what it is that you want us to do in this season, uh, that we might honor you, that we might make Christ known, uh, that the gospel might go out. And so encourage us today, uh, but also convict us and send us out to be your hands and feet in this world. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember last, uh, the last retreat uh, I had of my six years at New Life uh, at the camp, the guest speaker, he asked the question to everyone gathered. He said, you know, what's your church vision statement? I don't know if you were there. Um, so six years of being at New Life and we had a great uh, resounding silence um, that just filled the air. Um, and I I, I laughed and secretly inside, I died. Um, you know, after six years of repeating, you know, the vision statement every Sunday, well, maybe three, four for that vision statement. Um, you know, no one said anything. So just a reminder uh, of our vision statement at Kingsway, um, which we all know, it's to see the gospel revive our generation and beyond, right? This is why we planted the church, because we want to see this good news of Jesus that we believe, you know, changes lives and changes eternities we want to see this good news right transform revive you know people whether they've never been to church or whether they used to be at church and they've left to revive people right beginning with us our generation um and then going out beyond outward right to people who aren't like us maybe not you know asian uh, and then onward right to the next generation as well um, and when we think about this vision statement for it to happen, there's a lot of pieces of the puzzle that need to fall into place. A lot of these things we have no control over, right? Their receptiveness, right? The state of society, you know, how does, um, you know, Sydney right now at this moment of time perceive Christians? And ultimately we need the spirit of God to work. And those things, you know, are you know, kind of out of our hands, but there are some things that are up to us. Uh, there are some things that we need to do and we need to have in order to see you know, people saved, in order to see people come to church, in order to see the gospel revive our generation. 
right? What is it within me that I need to do or I need to have to see the gospel go out? And so today, as we look at Jesus interact with this um, deaf and mute man, we're going to see two things right? within Jesus, in his character uh, that we see really all throughout his ministry. And these are two things that you and I as Christians need to have in order to see anyone come to saving faith. And these are the things that we need. Okay, number one, we want to look at the compassion of Christ, right? The compassion of Christ. The first thing we need is, is compassion. Verse 31, it says, uh, Jesus returned to the region of Tyre, and he went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Now, you know, if you were to get a map and draw out the path that Jesus is going, uh, he doesn't go from point A to B in a straight line, right, which is the shortest way. He goes on a horseshoe-shaped uh, journey. And the reason why is that uh, even though it's inefficient, Jesus is purposefully trying to go deeper into Gentile territory. Now, if you remember, I think last week or the week before, I was talking about how in this kind of few um, um, events, Jesus has gone out of Jewish territory into Gentile territory, into kind of the, the outsider territory, where the people that maybe Jewish people wouldn't normally interact with much, especially Jewish rabbis, you know, wouldn't be found here with these kinds of people because they're very unholy, pagan, unclean people. But Jesus is wanting to spend time in this territory. And the verse 32, it says, uh, the people, they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, right? And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And so just continuing the theme, here's another person. Like last week, we saw the Syrophoenician woman, a person that society would have rejected, a person that people would have kind of turned their backs on and neglected. And this man, because of you know, his disability. Now, um, you know, being born or, you know, becoming um, deaf or unable to speak or he's got a speech impediment uh, would have like a just a huge negative impact on anyone's life at any point in time. Um, but, you know, our present society, I think we're quite conscious of doing our best to care for people um, with disabilities, um, you know. We have certain regulations. If you build a building, it needs to have wheelchair access, you know, if it's a certain type of building. Uh, I remember like maybe a week ago, uh, people were upset that in the daily COVID updates, they stopped, you know, doing Auslan uh, interpreting and people were upset about that. Like, I think our society is, is very conscious about caring for, you know, people who maybe can't hear or, or can't see. And that's a great thing. But back at the time of Jesus, um, it was totally not that case. Right. They didn't um, really go out of their way to care for people um, with disability. Uh, in fact, um, often rejected, neglected, um, um, even within families. And so Plato, right, the, the philosopher in ancient uh, Greece, he said, uh, quote, provide treatment for those of your citizens whose physical and psychological constitution is good. As for others, leave the unhealthy to die, and those whose psychological constitution is incurably corrupt, put to death. So Plato is saying basically, take care of the healthy people, but if there's anyone unhealthy, well, we should kind of let them die, right? Which is kind of shocking when you hear about it. Aristotle, he says, with regard to the choice between abandoning an infant or rearing it, let there be a law that no crippled child be reared. 
Right? And so this is kind of really shocking when we hear about it, but in the ancient times, um, you know, even families uh, would turn their backs on those who you know, had you know, disabilities. And so in the case of this man who could not hear, who could not speak, um, society, uh, if not his family, uh, would have rejected him. And for the ancient Greeks, um, out of all the lists of things that um, could make you uh, be rejected, uh, being mute was one of the worst, right? It was worse to be mute than to be blind because they connected muteness uh, with an inability to reason, right? At least the blind, they said, could hear uh, what you're saying, understand, and then respond. And so this man particularly is in a tough spot. Right? He's a guy that um, yeah, people would have turned their backs on. Uh, he wouldn't have been shown care, uh, acceptance. Uh, much of his life was, was not welcomed um, by people. But Jesus, who's a Jew, is with this Gentile, right? So already there's a gap there, um, but he is a, a deaf and mute Gentile. But the way that Jesus responds to this man uh, in the midst of the ministry and mission that he's trying to unfold is really, I think, challenging. Because what we see is a compassion Right, unlike what would have been normal at the time. And so number one, what we see is that Jesus welcomes him. The first thing Jesus does is he welcomes this man. Verse 33, it says, and taking him aside from the crowd privately. That's what Jesus does. Again, this man would have been considered a nuisance um, and um, people would not have you know, given this man attention. They would not have given him time or effort um, you know, their misconception, even the disciples would have thought this, they would have looked at this man and thought he did something to bring it upon himself. Right? That's what we see in John 9, when the disciples confront a blind man, they ask Jesus, you know, who sinned for this man to be blind? Someone must have made a mistake because this guy obviously deserves it. But Jesus sees this man, he doesn't dismiss him. And he doesn't just like quickly heal him and go like, okay, you're done, good. Yeah, I got to go now, see you, right? So he can get on with the more important work. But interestingly, Jesus, he stops and he pulls this man aside so he can give him a proper time, the proper space and focus. Right? The man that society has ignored, Jesus pours all of his attention and focus on him at this moment. You know, every year, a Warren Buffett, like very famous, very rich man, um, he does a fundraiser um, and you know, people bid to have lunch with him. Right, just spend like a very short amount of time, just sit down with this, with this incredible guy. Um, and I think the last fundraiser because of COVID was in 2019, I believe. And they raised $4.6 million. Right? One person paid $4.6 million to sit down with Warren Buffett and maybe pick his brains and you know, get to learn about how to become rich or something. Um, and I know it's a fundraiser, which it's good that they raised that money, uh, but I think it puts into perspective Right, the kind of people that can meet Warren Buffett, rich, powerful, famous, right, because Warren Buffett is such a great kind of rich person. Right, this blind man, uh, this deaf and mute man, sorry, he's not rich. Uh, he's not at the top of society. He's not famous. Um, but, but despite all these things, he gets a private one-on-one -on -one session with the king of the universe. Right, not because he could afford it, not because he deserved it but because Christ has compassion, right, even for those on the outskirts of society, right? This, if you imagine the love, the grace, the mercy of Christ, it's like it spills over right to the edge of humanity, right? And no one is excluded. 
uh, the second thing Jesus does is he engages with this man in a very kind of human, uh, empathetic way. Verse 33, after taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Now, Jesus, uh, he does not need to touch this man uh, to heal him. It's not necessary. Right? We've seen instances where Jesus is able to heal someone who's not even the, in the same vicinity as him. Right? They're like at home and Jesus says, yeah, they're healed. And so Jesus touches this man simply because he, he wants to. Now, when you think about touch, it's a natural and automatic way. You know, we communicate care. And we communicate compassion by that physical reaching out. Or we lean in to important conversations. We hug our closest friends. Or when someone is mourning and we want to be like empathetic to them, we put a comforting hand on them. And maybe when you pray for someone, you touch them. And we want to hold close those that we love. Right? Which is why Zoom church is so hard because you know, we don't have that kind of physical closeness. And as Jesus reaches out to this man, he's automatically and very symbolically eliminating the barrier that existed between him and the man, right? Spiritually, there's a, an eternal distance between God and the man. But Jesus is reaching out to bridge that barrier, which is why he came to earth. In the verse 34, Jesus looked up to heaven and he sighed and he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. Even, even though Jesus only just met the man, you know, his compassion is so deep that he's emotionally moved by the situation and he sighs. I'm sure you've been in that position. You're with a friend and they're sharing about their struggles and you can't help but to feel and be moved and be frustrated with them. And sometimes you just, you just sigh as you're hearing their frustrations. It's got nothing to do with you, but because you care and you have compassion, you're moved physically, emotionally, even your sighing comes into play. And so Jesus sees this man and he doesn't, doesn't just welcome him. He then engages with him. He touches him, right? He gets involved emotionally with that man's situation. Maybe he's grieving over the fact that sin could, you know, corrupt life so much. Maybe he just feels the weight of a difficult life that this man has gone through. Right? But either way, he engages with him right, on this very intimate level. And then third, Jesus considers him. Right? He, he really puts himself into the man's shoes. Right? The fact that Jesus touched this man's ears and tongue holds a deeper significance because of who this man is. Uh, this man, remember, is, is deaf. And so the only language this man understands is, is touch, right? If Jesus spoke um, and healed him only with words alone, this man, it would just ha had happened to this man. He wouldn't have been involved with it. Um, but as Jesus touches the man's ears, as he touches his tongue, Jesus is speaking in a language that this man understands. And he understands what's going on. And again, none of that is necessary. Jesus could have healed with a gesture or from afar, um, but he's wanting to engage with this man. He's thinking, it's like, it's like he's thinking, you know, what would this man understand? 
right? How can I go the extra mile so that this whole scenario welcomes this man into the process? If this man was just a project to complete or a nuisance to get rid of, Jesus could have done this in a dozen different ways, but he does it in a way that engages with this man right, on this very considerate level. Despite all the busyness of Jesus and the important work that he has to do, at times he's got a multitude of crowds, thousands chasing after him. He doesn't walk past this Gentile, unclean, deaf, and mute man that society has turned their backs on. He doesn't see him as an annoyance. He doesn't see him as something to quickly get rid of so we can get on to more important things. He stops. He pulls this man aside privately. He bridges the gap and he reaches out. He shares in his troubles as he sighs and in thoughtful compassion, he touches him and communicates in a language he understands. This is our God, right? This is our Lord, limitless in compassion. His love, right, stretches to the edge of the earth. It's available to anyone, regardless of who they are and how they've lived and what they've done. But kind of especially when you look at the Bible, God's heart seems to reach out to those who have been rejected, who have been outcast. Again, Jesus goes to the poor, to the widows, to the prostitutes, tax collectors, to the sinners. Some people in a tough spot, you know, um, they didn't do anything to deserve it. Some people in a tough spot because they did something bad. And yet, to all of them. Jesus reaches out his hands. The first person to be welcomed into paradise is a convicted criminal, right, being crucified. The first person that Jesus welcomes, right? This is the compassion of Christ. And as Christians, this is the first thing that we need. If we want people to meet Jesus, if we want people to come to saving faith, if we want to see a revival in our generation, then we need to have compassion. If we don't have compassion for people, we're never going to go to them. We're never going to welcome them. We're never going to reach out to them. We're never going to share in their grief. We're never going to care about the sorry state of sin that they're in. We're never going to tell them about Jesus. We need compassion. That's the first thing that we need. And as followers of Christ, we are commanded, really, to imitate Christ, especially to the least to the last and to the lost in this world. Colossians chapter three, it says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. Right? Put it on. That is what the Christian wears every day, compassionate hearts. So the question is, who do you struggle to have compassion toward today? You know, we struggle maybe because we're busy. I've got a lot of important things to do in my life. Um, maybe that person isn't nice. Maybe that person has hurt me. You know, there's so many reasons. You know, Jesus tells us not just to love our neighbor, but in Matthew 5, 44, he says, love your enemies right, and pray for those who persecute you. Right? Love your enemies. Again, we're commanded to have the kind of love and compassion that engulfs everyone. Right? Who's, who's your enemy? <laughs> do we have enemies do you have an enemy that's a weird way to call someone you're my enemy do you have an enemy he says to love them 
But this command is telling, you know, the persecuted Christians in underground churches right now to love those who are um, putting their friends in jail and uh, killing them. Love them. And pray for the governments that are, you know, oppressing you. It's telling families to forgive those who have murdered their loved ones or love your enemies. It's such a radical command. Right? And so for all of us, right, our compassion is to be limitless, our love to be limitless. You know, last week I talked about our responsibility as Christians to, to love and to care for the unvaccinated. And, you know, I feel like there's a really kind of important top topic because, you know, personally, you know, I, I've wrestled with reflecting on my attitude toward you know, people who are unvaccinated, you know, the, and there's a kind of spectrum of people who are unvaccinated right now. We simply can't, by the way, just group everyone to be like, oh, everyone who's unvaccinated is like, you know, this kind of person, selfish and, you know, like following some controversy or like, um, sorry, some conspiracy. And, you know, we, we kind of imagine them to be all like that. They're not all, all, you know, unvaccinated for that reason. But even if they were, even if every person unvaccinated was selfish uh, and caring about everyone else, they're not thinking about that hospitals are getting, you know, pushed to their limits and unable to help you know, other kinds of people, even if that were the case. And we are called to love and have compassion that sin has separated them from the Father. And we need to be praying for even for that. And I get the reasons why it's difficult to open our hearts to people who are unvaccinated. Um, but even still, right, we are called to a higher bar of compassion and love. And I'm not talking about whether church, our church, when and how and if we're going to open up and whether it's going to be with vaccinated and unvaccinated very soon. We'll talk about that at the end of service. But the more important question of, you know, for us, more than when are we meeting and how are we meeting, the more important question is, you know, where's your heart at? Do you have compassion and love for those who aren't vaccinated? Do you want to see them come to saving faith? Right? Do you believe there's a place in the church for people like that? It doesn't mean we agree with them, uh, but it means that we care for them and we long for them to meet Christ. You know, in today's society, it seems that it's a greater sin to be unvaccinated than to live a life in disobedience to God. It's a greater sin to be unvaccinated than to be sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And I feel like that attitude, you know, potentially has crept into some parts of the church. And that's a problem. Where we feel justified to condemn, some, condemn someone based on their vaccination status, but we're happy to turn a blind eye, even though you know, they're living a life of immorality in God's sight. I mean, we wouldn't reject anyone uh, you know, in, in terms of you know, our relationship with them because they're sinning. Um, and yet we feel like we can reject them because they aren't vaccinated. And the question I feel like I've been thinking about is, you know, which would grieve God more? That someone's unvaccinated or that someone is disobeying him? And what does God care more about? And, and what should we care more about? At the end of the day, when God calls us to compassion and love, he's calling us to do exactly what he did for us. 
Now, Romans 5, it says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Right? While we were enemies. And so when Jesus says, love your enemies, that's what God did for us. He looked at us when we were enemies and in his compassion and love, he sent his son to die for our sins so that he could welcome us into his family. And so he's just saying, I loved you when you were unlovable. Go do the same. But I forgave you. Do the same. I gave you grace. Go do the same. I gave you compassion. Go do the same. Right? That's all he's telling us to do. And this is really important because if we don't strive and like fight for this, fight to have love and grace and compassion, not only do we not have the heart of Christ, but we may not have Christ at all. Right? That's what the Bible would say. If you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. Right? If you don't give grace, maybe you don't understand it in the first place. So this is the first thing I really want to challenge us in this, in this season, right? our compassion for all people especially those who are rejected in society. And I feel like, you know, right now, the unvaccinated uh, uh, are being rejected. And again, not agree with them. I'm not saying, you know, go lean in and share a meal with, with everyone who's unvaccinated. Like, you know, just be wise, but love, right? And pray for. Second thing we see in Christ that we need to have, if we want to see people come to saving faith, is courage. Let's look at the courage of Christ. Verse 34 to 37, it says, uh, looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes a deaf hear and the mute speak. Jesus' compassion uh, doesn't just stop at uh, uh, emotion, like, oh, oh, I feel bad, and then that's it. Uh, it leads to action, and in the end of the story, this man is healed. Ears are open, tongue is released, and the people who see it are astonished, it says. And they say, he has done all things well, which is uh, kind of hearkening back to creation, when God looked at you know, what he had made, and he said, it is very good. And Jesus come, really, to restore creation back to the way it was meant to be. Right? He's bringing things back. The things that sin had corrupted, he's going to come and he's going to fix it. Right? If we believe in Jesus, right, no matter what sin has done, negatively to your mind, your body, your life, Christ has come to restore it right, to perfection. And he will do that one day. And as we look to the people around the world, that's what we long for, right? That's the, the vision. We want to see this gospel revive this generation. People in brokenness, uh, people in sin, uh, to come meet Jesus and be restored. Right? First in their hearts and then in eternity when he comes to glorify us. And between where we are today and people finding restoration in Christ, right? we need compassion or else we won't go to them. But we also need courage. We need courage to take compassion and make it more than a feeling and make it into action. You know, to act on compassion takes courage because often there's a cost. 
often there's a cost, a sacrifice for me to act out in my compassion as a Christian. You know, every time Jesus acted out in compassion and he reached out to the sick, the religiously unclean, the Gentile, the woman or the sinner or any combination of those, it always cost him something. He'll be criticized. He's risking something, his life. He's damaging his reputation as a rabbi. Right? And what we see in Jesus is like this great compassion for people paired with courage. So he acts and there's always a fallout. This is really the reason why he will go and be crucified because he's acting out in compassion to all these people. Until this moment, Jesus has been called a blasphemer for forgiving the paralytic sin. He's been condemned for having a meal with sinners. He's on the Pharisees' hit list because they healed a man on the Sabbath. He's been accused of being possessed by Satan. He's been kicked out of the area by Gentiles because he cast out legion. And he's been rejected by his hometown. Over and over again in the ministry of Christ, it's taken much sacrifice. And that takes courage. Anytime Jesus would minister to large crowds, right? If you look at Mark 3, he's risking his life. He might be crushed. The disease just pressing in against him, it says, right? And so they're all like a lot of these guys are contagious. He doesn't have even space to eat. Cost. And the question is, in my compassion, I see the cost, but I'm not willing to pay the cost. Well, will I have the courage to still act out in my compassion? You know, when Jesus reaches out to the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, even she is shocked. And the first thing she says in verse John chapter 4, verse 9 is, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Right? For, and then it says in brackets, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But she knows the cost of Jesus speaking to her. And she says, well, what are you doing? You're not meant to talk to me. I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman and you're a Jew. You, you don't do that. But the compassion of Christ didn't just stop at emotion, encourage he went and spoke to her. Right? And at the end of that story, right, she comes to believe in him. In Mark chapter 1, we have this story where uh, Mark 140, it says a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. A man with leprosy. Leprosy is contagious, right? If, if, if you had leprosy, you weren't allowed into like, like the, the city. You, were, you, you had to live away from people. And Jesus not only has compassion on him, but he acts on it. Right? If someone with leprosy came to you, what would you do? Would you go near them? <laughs> right? It's risky. What if, I, what, if, what if it gets on me? Right? What if I get leprosy? I don't want leprosy. No one wants leprosy. And so I, I care for them, but you know, I don't really want leprosy. And so he's the compassion. He's the cost. And you know, it, it's like a battle. And will courage meet your compassion and lead to action? Or will you only see the cost? And you will choose, rather than courage, you choose what's comfortable. This is what Jesus does in verse 41. Move with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Just like our, in our passage today, Jesus did not need to touch this man with leprosy. 
he could have been like, oh, okay, you got it. Okay, I'm going to heal you, but just don't touch me. Yeah, right, you're healed. He reaches out in compassion. He touches this man. This man has been rejected by the world. People are running away from him. People don't want to go near him. For the first time in possibly decades, this man feels the touch of another human being. That's compassion married with courage. And Christ's courage and compassion, of course, is seen most clearly at the cross. His compassion for us, you and me, and his courage to save us would lead him to pay the ultimate cost as he dies on the cross for our sins. Compassion and courage are needed for us to see people saved. You know, it shows up when you know, you're at work and, you know, you want to tell people about Jesus because you have compassion on them. Um, but you know that the, there's a cost because you know, maybe they'll look at you differently or maybe they'll make fun of you or maybe you'll have hard conversations or maybe, you know, da, 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 and that's where the courage comes in. And the question is, I've got compassion, but will it just stop there? Will I choose comfort or will I choose courage? And then only when compassion and courage come together, will we then do something that might lead them to salvation. You know, the reality is, I think, for Christians in Sydney, uh, we've had a good, you know, we've never had to risk much to be Christian. We've never had to, like, count the cost of gathering on Sundays. There hasn't been too much sacrifice for that, if we're honest. I mean, there's been some cost. Wake up early, right? Can't go to the beach when the weather's good and you're stuck in church. You know, you got to give offering, maybe, you know, if you want to serve in a ministry, go to meetings. I mean, there's been some cost, but, you know, it's nothing compared to the cost that so many Christians give around the world. But right now, in persecuted countries, people have such high cost and risk to go to church or be public about their faith. You know, again, I think the highest cost for us is being public at work that, you know, we're Christian and that might lead to hard conversations. But I think for the first time, um, there's a real risk. I don't know if you felt that. Um, the risk of coming to church even. You know, I don't know if you struggled with the thought that at 80%, you know, we'll be talking about what do we do and the thought that we might meet vaccinated and unvaccinated together in one place at 80%. And I don't know about you, but when you think about that, what rolled through my mind was um, COVID. What if I get COVID? Um, is it worth getting COVID or going to church? Da, da, da. And like your mind tries to calculate the cost of, of doing that. And I think for the first time, uh, at least for me and maybe for you, I've had to really look inside of myself and say, how much is church worth? I mean, this is my job, so, you know. Um, but, you know, is Jesus worth risking health for? Do you know what I mean? Is gathering with the saints worth risking getting COVID? Man, we've been challenged in this. Maybe, maybe you, like me, have been challenged in that way. Is it worth having compassion on the unvaccinated, even though it might cost me or risk something from me? And for the first time, we've had to answer that question. You know, the Christian faith 
was always meant to come with risk. Never meant to be comfortable, always take a cost in our lives. You look through the New Testament, you look at the disciples, you look at the early church, you look at our savior, there's always a cost. It's never meant to be easy. We're never meant to avoid risk. And all I wanna say is the one place we cannot be is I'm willing to risk nothing. You cannot be there. We cannot say, I will risk nothing and pay no cost for my faith. I'm only going to gather when there's zero risk to my health. You cannot be there as a Christian. Somewhere between no risk and dumb risk, there's a big spectrum. We're, we're trying to be somewhere in there, but no risk is not where we want to be. In the middle, there's a place of wise, courageous, God-glorifying, gospel-driven risk. And that is where the Christian lives. Now, all of our situations are unique, depending on where you work, uh, depending on your age, and depending on the health conditions of the people that you live with, or the people you interact with, whether you have kids, all of that comes into play. We're going to make different decisions. But all I want to say is that Christianity was always going to take risk, and it was going to pay we had to pay a cost. We're meant to carry our cross, Jesus says. Die to yourself. It's just, I think for the first time, we've really been challenged with it. Right? I don't know. I think this is a good thing that we're going through. It's a really important moment for us. I think it'll be a healthy growing moment for us to evaluate our faith and to say, you know what? Jesus and my faith and my growth is worth, worth some risk and have the courage Right, to live out our faith, and especially when you think about compassion to others. You know, do you really believe for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain? Right, to die is gain, right? I'm going to go to church, but I'm going to live for Jesus. But what if I get COVID? Well, if I get COVID and I die, well, that's better, right? I don't know if that's, that's how any of us calculated it. Verse 23, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Right, do we really believe that? There are brothers and sisters around the world at this very moment in persecuted countries, weekly, if not daily, confronted with the cost of their faith, the cost of being found out for being Christian, the cost of the wrong person hearing that they believe in Jesus means they will lose their friends, lose their family, lose their job, maybe lose their freedom, possibly lose their life. And every week when Sunday rolls around, they need to decide whether gathering at church is worth the cost, whether growing in community is worth that risk. They might die by going to church and they count that risk and they say Christ is worth that risk and cost. Every time they act out in compassion and they tell someone, hey, do you want to hear about Jesus? Or they invite someone to church out of compassion. They risk that that person might report them. They risk that that person is a spy sitting in their services and all of the people in the church are going to be sent to jail and die. Right? That's the cost that some of our brothers and sisters in the world are counting every week. And every week and every time they decide that Jesus is worth the cost. 
That's courageous faith. And I know our situation isn't exactly the same. But it's an opportunity for us to have courage. And even to take wise risk, not stupid risk, wise risks for Jesus. I mean, that's why we planted Kingsway. Or at least that's why I plan King. I hope to plan Kingsway, you know, to not be comfortable, but to become uncomfortable. Comfort's the place where faith goes to die. But it's in discomfort where we will grow. And to see the gospel revive our generation and beyond. Right, is a place of discomfort. So as I close, if there ever was a time where compassion and courage matters most, I, I think it's now. Compassion and courage right, bring it together, right, especially to the unvaccinated. I heard a pastor say that coming out of isolation is going to be harder than going into isolation. And I think that's true on multiple levels. Right, where, you know, I don't know about you, but it's, the thought of meeting people is, is hard, right? Going to normal life, it's hard. We're, we've kind of got into this kind of weird routine of staying at home. But again, one of the areas where it's going to be hard for us and challenging for us is, is the way that we approach the unvaccinated and vaccinated meeting together. And whether that's going to create disunity and whether that's going to you know, lead to anger and bitterness and judgment or whether we will grow through this and God will bear uh, the fruit of the spirit in our lives. You know, from what I can tell, you know, kind of informal surveys, we are a highly vaccinated church. Um, I think as I've talked to other pastors, it seems that Asian churches are very highly vaccinated. Um, and, you know, some of our fellow um, white brothers, you know, white churches, you know, they've got like vocal anti-vaxxers. As far as I know, we don't have any. And so I think for us, mostly vaccinated. The question is, Will we have compassion to the unvaccinated? And will we have courage you know, as we begin to gather? Even though there might be risk or cost, will we have courage at the thought that to be compassionate to that person means that I might be mingling with someone that you know, may get COVID? And will we have compassion and courage? Let me close with this story. Uh, Al Stewart, who's the national director of our denomination, FIC, he sent out this letter. And in this letter, he, he kind of talked about what I'm going to say here. Um, but in the year uh, 165 and 251, the Roman Empire was hit by devastating plagues. The plagues that hit the Roman Empire killed a quarter to a third of the population. Right? That's, a, that's a big chunk of the 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 Roman Empire, a quarter to a third of people died because of these plagues. And we ask ourselves, how did Christians respond? Right? How would you respond if a plague hit your city? Right? It's kind of like where we're at, right? I think for me, I'd pack my bags and I'd get out of there. Um, this is how the Christians responded. Dionysus, um, he, he wrote this quote. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves, thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease. 
drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. Right, a plague hits the city and what the, a lot of the Christians did was they served. They got sick and they died, but they died happy. And as a result of this, the Christian cause grew stronger. Many people came to Christ because these people did not feed death in the way that the pagan world did, but in compassion and courage, they served. They spread the gospel and people were saved. And I think, again, the situation is not exactly the same, but I think we can see compassion and courage and be challenged in that way.